You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Fantastic. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, my name's Phil, so I'm, I'm the campus pastor from Burnside, so it's such a great privilege to be with you all this morning. Your fabulous Pete is with our crew at Burnside today, so we're doing a bit of a swapsy. Um, so uh, he was texting me earlier saying, don't you do a bad job with my crew. <laughs> I said, oh, no pressure. No. <laughs> but just, uh, I, I really want to honour Pete and Sarah, they're amazing. You guys are so blessed to have incredible pastors who love you. Every time we, we meet and plan... Um, I'm always blown away by how Pete just carries such a a very evident love for you all and a love for this community. So it's wonderful for me to be with you all. I just want to change things up a little bit this morning. Margaret, fantastic job this morning. My goodness, so amazing. And I just want to pick up on that beautiful, beautiful image that you used of your beautiful Charlie and that story of, of... Charlie saving you and intervening where that horse was just bearing on down of you, that as an image sums up so much of what the Christian faith is all about, that whether we realize it or not, all of our lives are in in absolute peril uh, because of our sin that separates us from God. But Jesus has intervened for each one of us through laying his life down on the cross. He rose from the dead after three days, as we heard, and he promises salvation and forgiveness for everyone who would put their trust in him. And so this morning, just before I get into my message, I'd just love to give an opportunity for anyone here, and maybe that image that Margaret shared this morning just enabled you to kind of make sense of what the Christian message is actually about. See, it's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's about knowing God personally, and it's about accepting what he has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Just like beautiful Charlie intervened in that situation to save Margaret from a dangerous, dangerous situation, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid down his life for all who would put their faith in him. And so just before we get into the message this morning, can I invite you just to join me in prayer? Just close your eyes, bow your heads in prayer, and just in this moment, If you have never made a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never kind of pieced it all together and realized that he is your Savior, that he laid down his life for you, this morning right here in this place, in this moment, is an opportunity for you to accept him, to invite him to come and be your personal Lord and Savior, the center of your life. So if that's you, if you've never made that decision for, uh, before in your life, or you have in the past, but you know you've just kind of drifted away, and this morning you sense Jesus just drawing you back to himself, can I invite you to join me, join us in just praying a real simple prayer that's acknowledging what Jesus has done for us, and it's just inviting him to come and be the Lord of our lives. So church, can we pray this together? Just repeat after me, God, today... I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned. But I believe Jesus, you died for me. So I turn from my old life. And I turn to you. Come and be my Lord. Make me new today. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Just while every eyes closed and head bowed, if you've prayed that for the very first time today, or as a means of just reconnecting with Jesus, can I just get you to raise your hand and say, Phil, that's me. Maybe you've never thought of Jesus intervening to rescue you from danger like Charlie the beautiful dog did for Margaret. This is what Jesus has done. We each need to make a personal decision what we do with the claims of Christianity. So is there anyone this morning that this is a point where you just sense that God is knocking on the door of your heart and you're responding through prayer today to say, Lord, I want to know you or I want to reconnect with you today. Thank you, Lord. Just wait a moment. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I just I want to thank you for this beautiful church community. I thank you that you are so at work here. It is beautiful what you are doing to connect people together like living stones to become a temple from which your spirit would flow to this community. So Jesus, we pray that you would be at the center of all that goes on in this place, all that takes place in our lives, that increasingly, Lord, we would all, be surrendering all that we are and all that we have to you in gratitude for what you have done for us. It's all about you, Jesus. And so we just give ourselves back into your hands this morning, recognizing that's the best thing we could ever do with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. Hey, so as... um. As uh, Pastor Nu just shared on the video, over, these, over this month, uh, across our three um, campuses, what we're doing is just shifting the focus on again to what we, what we really believe God has called us um, to do. As one church in three locations, we have a common vision that we are passionate about, that we believe God has helped us to, to sort of clarify. And we want to be a people who are intentional about really leaning into that, pressing into it, and believing for more from God. So this, this series is entitled Fingerprints, which is, you know, you think your fingerprint is a unique thing. It can be a, a, a sign that you make that expresses your identity. As, as Elam in New Zealand, we have an identity. And as Elam here in Christchurch, we believe that there is a specific identity that we carry as we seek to be a blessing to our community. So there's three key words that sum up our, the vision that we share. Those words are connect, equip, and influence. This whole word connect, we, we say that we are here to help people know God and find their place in his family. That's a, that's a core part of who we are. We're not just going to do our own thing. We believe that Jesus has called us to make a difference in the lives of others. So we want to embrace that sense of our identity, saying, God, you've called us to be a people who would help others know you and find their place in your family. Equip, we believe that we are here to raise up Bible-based faith-filled disciples of Jesus Christ. Margaret shared that beautifully again this morning. Jesus himself said, hey, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So we want to be a people who are effective in raising up Bible-based, faith-filled disciples of Jesus Christ. And influence, lastly, we believe that we are here to make a difference, both locally, but also on a global scale as well. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So we want to be a people who, we can't be everything to everyone, but we want to be intentional about seeking to be a blessing as widely as we possibly can. 
And so this morning, I want to dig into uh, the second of these aspects of our vision, this equip one, and just explore that in a bit more detail with you and see if we can figure out together how we continue to step forward in this so that we can continue just to see Jesus glorified in our communities. That's what it's about, right? I want to say this morning to your church, before I actually get into what I prepared, I'm so excited for you all. Even driving here again this morning, it it blows me away every time I drive out here. It feels like it doesn't have to be too long elapses before I drive out again and there's, oh, there's a supermarket that's popped up. Oh, (laughs) it's like, what? (laughs) And and I love this sense. I was talking to Stu before the service and going, I, I, I praise God for the legacy of this church and the vision and the foresight to establish a church community here in this location. And what is happening is that a whole new part of the city is developing all around you. And so there are going to be opportunities in the days to come that are so exciting that God is in the midst of this. You can just look at it and go, well, it's just property developers doing property developer things. But can I say to you, God is at work and he has established you in a mission field in this community so that you and us together can make a difference. So stir that sense of vision into into flame in your hearts. Every time you look over the back fence and see more diggers and other construction vehicles. I'm not much of a tradie, you can tell. As you see them rolling on in, get excited about that and go, thank you, Jesus, that we are here. We don't even know what this is going to look like, but there's going to be more people living right on our doorstep, more people working right on our doorstep. And oh God, this is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. This is your purpose for Belfast here in Elam. So again, just, can I get into my message now? (laughs) So be excited, team. Be excited. I'm excited for you. You can have some of my excitement. I got enough for all of us today. Amen. <laughs> but hey, let me. Sh- this is a cool scripture. I love this. This is in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It's getting towards the end of the book of Hebrews, and it says, "Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, Hallelujah, may He equip you." with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love those verses. And, and what we have here is that the writer of the book of Hebrews was, was concluding the letter that they were writing with this closing kind of prayer, if you like. And as it was expressing this desire that the people they were writing to, who were people just like you and I, who were part of a Christian community in the first century AD, that those people would be equipped by God himself for every wonderful plan and purpose that he has always had in mind to accomplish through us. And how good is that? Like God himself wants to equip us. That's not something that's just restricted to pastors or elders or missionaries. Like if you're a follower of Jesus... You qualify. Doesn't matter if you've just given your heart to Jesus today, this week, a month ago, a year, wherever you're at on the journey, the truth is that God wants to equip us so that we are able to fulfill the purpose that he has for for our lives. And as a church, we want to be effective in seeing people equipped to fulfill God's purposes for their lives. That's something that's really important to us. But not only that, we want to be effective in mobilizing the body of Christ to participate in the ongoing work of helping to equip others. 
See, it's not just about us being equipped. It's recognizing that we can, be, we can participate in the work of equipping others as well. So there's kind of two facets, if you like, to this message this morning. Equip is an interesting word. I was thinking about it over the past couple of weeks. It's a, it's a word that, for me, brings to mind ideas of kind of mission or adventure. It's like if you're going to be equipped, it's because you're going on to do something, right? There's something clear in mind that you need some special equipment for, like equip and equipment. Those words go together, right? I was reading a book um, a couple of years ago. It was about the, the first successful um, scaling of Mount Everest. That is, Kiwis, we love that story because Sir Edmund Hillary was right there at the forefront of it all. Hallelujah. And, um, but it, it was fascinating to read more about the history and about all the previous attempts to scale Mount Everest that had actually happened before Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay and their team were actually successful. And as much as being Kiwis, we love to think that the reason why Sir Edmund Hillary succeeded is just because he's a Kiwi, and no Kiwi had tried before. All they needed to do was get a Kiwi, and then it would have been a no-brainer that we'd get to the summit. What did they muck around with all these Swiss climbers and French climbers and... Just get a kiwi, for goodness sake. We, we like to think that. And I think there's a part of it that quite possibly may be true. Sir Edmund Hillary was a pretty special guy. But looking back over the previous attempts to scale Mount Everest, it, it becomes apparent that a key reason why many failed was because of a lack of equipment. And why Sir Edmund Hillary and his team succeeded is because they actually had a support team who equipped them in a better way and in a more suitable way than any previous team had been equipped before. This is a quote from the book. I don't have this on the screens for you, sorry, but it says this. It says, driven to the limits of human endurance by a lack of oxygen, by dehydration, and by inadequate food, Everest climbers also suffered from being poorly equipped. In 1922, George Finch commissioned his own outfit of feather down encased in hot air balloon cloth. His diary shows that he felt very superior, watching his colleagues shivering in their tweed and gabardine clothes. He imagined his fellow climbers were envious, but he was wrong. They simply poked fun behind his back at his eccentric costume, with a tribal love of the old uniform, which confirmed one as a member of the upper classes, the Everesters, like the climbers, continued to wear their Norfolk jackets, conventional knickerbockers, gabardine suits, Shetland sweaters, and trilby hats. And they continued to be beset by cold and frostbite. It's an interesting quote which is kind of saying, hey, there were different people at different points who had tried to raise the subject of how perhaps we might need to be better equipped or differently equipped for the purpose, but they were just, oh, don't, don't be so daft, old chap. Just put on your trilby hat and it'll be fine. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> but again, Edmund Hillary and his team, they were phenomenal Phenomenal climbers in their own right. They had skills, 
But just as important as the skills that they had was the equipment that they had. They had down clothing that protected them from frostbite. They studied and researched into what type of food they could actually, would be the lightest to carry, but would ensure that their bodies had the nutrients and the energy that they needed to not suffer the exhaustion that previous uh, parties had suffered. So there was a lot of thought that went into the success of that expedition that centered around being equipped for the mission. Now, it would be a bit of a weird thing if as a mountaineer, I am no mountaineer, clearly, um, but if as a mountaineer, you got all kitted out in your crampons, your ice axes, your ropes, your layers of thermal wear and insulation, and then just wear it around every day to go down to the supermarket and just go and pick up the kids from school and would have been good on Tuesday when it actually snowed. Like, but, you know, generally here in Christchurch, you'd be seen as a little bit odd if you were walking around in full mountaineer gear and equipment, not actually climbing a mountain. Like, that's kind of weird. Equipment is for mission. It's for a specific purpose. And God wants to equip us, not just so that we'd have some flash air, spiritual clothes or armor or equipment, but so that we would be able to participate in what he's called us collectively to do, which is reaching people in our community for Jesus. Last year, our, um, our youngest son, Conway, he was four at the time, and he, um, he announced one day, as he does, that he wanted to play soccer. Um, his older brother, Niall, has played for a few years, and Conway, the youngest, said, I want to play soccer too, which, as a dad who's loved soccer my whole life, I was thrilled. Um, I thought, I- I'm not going to stand in the way here. I will um, seek to fulfill my dreams through you, my son. Um, <laughs> That's what we do as parents, amen. Oh, shouldn't, shouldn't do, shouldn't do, yeah, yeah. But so I was, I was enthusiastic about that, and Bron, my wife, came to me and said, oh, it's, it's probably going to cost about 160 bucks to pay the subs, and, and then we've got to get the uniform. They've got to wear the uniform. I was like, four-year-olds have to wear a uniform, really? So yeah, they've got to wear the uniform, we've got to get them boots. And he was really excited about that. So we got him kitted out, and I thought, this is great, this is the first stage, and um, us being cared for in our dotage um, by my son, who will go on to be a professional footballer and <laughs> earn millions. So $150 investment in my long-term security I'm willing to make. That's fine. But then um, after a few weeks, uh, Conway came to me and he said, Dad, I don't want to play soccer anymore. <laughs> and my heart dropped. I shed a tear or two. I said, that's fine, son. You do whatever you want. <laughs> But then I thought, no, that, that's totally fine. And then I talked to Bron, my wife, about it, and she said, yeah, it's not a great surprise that he said that. I said, well, what do you mean? Because she had been the one to take him to training every day. It was sort of during the, week on, during the week when I was at work and stuff. And she said, oh, let me show you a photo of Conway at soccer practice. <laughs> and I've since lost it, which I was really annoyed about. I wanted to show you this, but let me describe it for you. Bron showed me this beautiful photo of about a dozen little cute four-year-olds in their lovely little soccer uniforms, all sitting there at the feet of their coach, listening intently and just looking adorable. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. And I said, what's the problem with this photo? And then she kind of zoomed out. And about 50 meters away over here was our son. (laughs) And he was not listening at all. In fact, what he was doing was sitting on a soccer ball. And I said, what's he doing? And she said, oh, he's pretending to be a chicken laying an egg. I was like, oh, he's a loose unit. I was like, not entirely surprising. So he just wasn't into it. But 
He loved the uniform and the boots. He loved the uniform and the boots. He's always had a thing for shoes, so getting soccer boots was very exciting. And he still wanted to wear the uniform and the boots just around home. We were like, dude, the uniform is to play soccer in. Equipment is for a purpose. (laughs) We don't seek to be equipped by God as a church just for our own benefit, right? Just so I go, check out my boots. <laughs> we have a mission that Jesus has given us, and we seek to be equipped because we recognize that we've got work to do in Jesus' name. We've got work to do. Matthew 28, let me just rephrase this. Margaret did a great job before. Jesus came and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, we know these verses pretty well, but our familiarity with them can cause us to miss something really important that's actually contained in them. See, Jesus' heart is for us to go and make disciples, not merely converts. There's a difference. It's a miracle whenever a person gives their life to Jesus in gratitude for what he has done. That's a miracle, and we praise God for it, and we we celebrate those moments. But in reality, those moments are just the beginning of another journey, a journey of discipleship, a journey of actually growing to be established in our faith, a journey of moving on from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God's heart is that we not stay as infants, spiritually speaking, but that we move on and we grow in our faith through the blessings and the equipping that flow through the body of Christ To embrace our call to make disciples kind of requires a little bit more of us as uh, the people of God, I feel. It requires us to be willing to journey with people over time, investing into them, pouring our lives into them as we seek to help them grow. So this is where, again, we need to be equipped in ourselves, but there's a point where we need to turn the focus outward and go, God, how are you calling me to be a part of equipping others and raising up disciples as well? It's something we're all called to participate in, in some way, shape, or form. Again, the wording of our vision statement is pretty uh, intentional. Um, Pastor Nu and Pastor Peter and myself, I remember the day a couple of years ago where we were trying to thrash this out and bouncing around ideas and wording. And the fact that we settled on that we want to be a church who is effective in raising up Bible-based, faith-filled disciples, that raise up phrase is intentional. That speaks to the fact that it's a process over time. It doesn't just magically appear in the waving of a Holy Spirit wand. It takes time. And it takes being committed to relationship and doing the journey with one another. Just as we raise children in the natural, and that takes years, we want to be effective in raising up disciples of Jesus Christ. See, God's plan for the growth of his kingdom is through multiplication, not addition. What do we mean by that? Well, let me share a scripture with you. I love, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. Easy, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. Paul wrote these words to Timothy. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What I find really challenging but also inspiring about these verses is that within two verses, we have described here kingdom growth through a multiplication 
we have successive spiritual generations being equipped and going on to equip others. Think about the generations that are described there. You've got first spiritual generation, Paul, who's writing to Timothy and says, hey, Timothy, I've poured my life into you and and other witnesses, he describes. So there's a second spiritual generation there. And then he says, hey, those things that you've heard, I, I give you the charge to actually go and entrust those to other people, pour into others, seek to equip others. But that wouldn't be the end of the process in itself. Pour yourself into others with the expectation and hope that they would grow to maturity and then likewise pour themselves into others who would then go on to pour themselves into others. And you can kind of picture that in diagrammatical form and that's where multiplication takes place. Because if you just start with two people who pour their lives into two people, who pour their lives into two people, it becomes this exponential kind of growth. And this is how the kingdom grows, through multiplication, not mere addition. So there's a path of spiritual growth for all of us to walk. A path of spiritual growth. It takes time, and it's okay. Wherever you are at right now on this journey is amazing, and we praise God for it. But it's not God's heart that we remain where we are. There are yet more steps for us to take forward, amen? In 1 John, we see this reflected. This is a pretty cool passage of scripture. John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers. And this is not just the spiritual dads, even a pep talk. This is like the spiritual parents in the congregation. I'm writing to you because you know him, Jesus, who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, spiritual adolescents, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome. See, John writes about spiritual children, spiritual adolescents, and spiritual parents. There is a path of growth for each of us, and God's heart is that wherever we start off and wherever we are now, we keep moving one step at a time along that path where we can reproduce the life of Jesus in other people by the grace and the empowering of his spirit. We grow, we grow. So what can we do? If we get really, really practical about this, what can we do to keep ourselves on that path of spiritual growth and to be equipped as God intends? See, there's many different ways that we can be equipped in practical ways when we consider our our families or our careers. You know, there's lots of practical stuff that goes on there. But in terms of spiritual growth, I want to remind you today of the incredible importance of being equipped in the Word of God. See, being equipped in the Word of God is absolutely crucial to our growth and our effectiveness. There's a bunch of other stuff which we can go, oh, yeah, that might be useful to a point, but to be grounded in the Word of God and know that our foundation is in what God says about us and what He's speaking into our lives, that will establish us in a position of strength. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, he said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, like that's all of us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the little words fascinate me. I love the fact that Paul just didn't write, Scripture's really amazing, so that the servant of God may be equipped for good work. 
He's like, no, no, it's so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. And it's the word of God that is absolutely pivotal in us being thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can I remind you today that there are good works that God has planned for you that you don't even know about yet? How wonderful is that? Even especially terrifying to a degree, yeah. I thought I knew where my life was going, and yet there's so much more. And this is how amazing God is. No matter how many years you have been walking with Jesus, and no matter how many wonderful things you can look back on and go, God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to journey with those people and see your life shared with others. There's a whole lot more for you. There's a whole lot more for you. And I love the heart in this congregation of continuing to step into the more that God has. I honor you guys for it. So we need to be thoroughly equipped in the word of God so that we're ready for every good work that God has planned for us, including the stuff that we don't even know about yet. (laughs) Ten years ago, uh, in 2012, uh, in the United States, the Center of Bible Engagement compiled some really fascinating research findings into a document that they called Understanding Bible Engagement. In this study, they they polled about 50,000 people aged from eight years old through to about 80 years old. So a wide range of people and a serious, serious um, mass of people. And they wanted to see how people were engaging with Scripture and what the impact of that kind of looks like in our lives. And as they compiled the results of this research, they found something really, really amazing. And this was something they weren't even looking for when they started the research, which I find startling as well. The study indicated that when people, whatever age, whatever um, socioeconomic status, whatever cultural background, whenever someone engages with Scripture once a week, which could be coming to church on Sunday and hearing an idiot like me say some stuff from the Bible, when there's one instance a week of being engaged to Scripture, there was a negligible effect on some key areas of life. The same result was actually true if people engaged with Scripture twice a week. When people engaged with God's Word three times a week, things began to go a little bit up. They began to discern that there's a noticeable effect on our lives when three times a week We read the Word of God. But then, the eye-opener really happened when it reached four times a week. Four times a week. A steady climb of impact might have been expected, but at four times a week, the results just were off the charts. And these guys were blown away by it. Here's some of the things that they found. When day four was reached, they found things including the following. Feeling lonely drops by 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. And discipling others jumps 230%. I find that incredible. So 
when we explore this idea of, God, what can I do just to continue to be equipping myself and preparing myself, not, even, not just for what you have in store for me to do, but for how I live my life as a follower of Jesus, one of the most significant things that we can do is go, God, whatever it looks like, I want to be a person who four times in this coming week, I want to be a person who puts aside time to ground my life in the truth of your word. You can tick one off right now for being here at church on Sunday. Hallelujah. You've only got three to go, church. And whenever that happens, wherever that happens, it could be your small group during the week where you open God's word together. Hey, tick, that's another one. But again, to take our own time to continue to invest in our relationship with God, grow in our understanding of his word, the impact of this on our lives personally and in terms of our effectiveness, it jumps off the charts. How exciting is that? It's not rocket science, sorry. It's not a complicated kind of thing. And it puts the onus on all of us to go, Jesus, would you help me take that responsibility to just be a person who would discipline my life to keep growing in my relationship with you? Those of you who already have these developed disciplines in your life, can I encourage you, do not grow weary in doing good. <laughs> Persevere, because what you, the way you are living your life is, whether you realize it or not, resulting in you being thoroughly equipped for life, for ministry, for effectiveness for Jesus. Please, I honor you for your diligence. Persevere. Don't grow weary. Keep going. You are on the right track. For those of you who are maybe at an earlier stage of the growth process, hey, it's okay. There's no condemnation. This is not a big heavy of like, oh man, I don't read my Bible enough. I've got told off at church. That's not the heart of this. This is like wherever you are at is okay. But I hope that this would excite something within you to actually realize that there is freedom, there is future, there is purpose, there is hope, there is transformation in just growing in relationship with Jesus through his word. So wherever you're at, just make a start and maybe clarify yourself just one step that you can take this coming week to say, do you know what? Wednesday morning, I've got an hour on my hands. I'm going to make myself a coffee. I'm going to sit down. And maybe you can talk to someone who can help you find a Bible reading plan that you can go on together. You don't have to do this alone. But again, for all of us, there's a next step. And lastly this morning, again, what can we do to equip others when we think practically about that? And this is where for those of you who have already grown through spiritual infancy and adolescence, the next step is to be intentional about stepping into spiritual parenthood, so to speak. It's seeking to intentionally disciple others. This is something that I have seen people struggle with at times in church over the years. And the challenge is to recognize that when we are in the earlier stages of our spiritual growth, we need others to pour into us to help us grow. We all need that. It's not just God. It's actually life flowing through the body to us, through the body of Christ. So we need others to help us and to speak truth into us. But we reach a point where we can feel kind of stagnant and we think that what we need is for more people or different people to continue to pour into us so that we continue to grow. But could I suggest to you that when we're at that point, what's actually the case is that we need to turn our eyes outwards and go, Jesus, who can I begin to pour into? Where receiving more is actually not what I need for my spiritual growth. I have received an abundance and I'm so grateful for it. You have equipped me and I have something to share with others, it could be the time to actually say, all right, Lord, 
who is there that I can be a blessing to, that I can pour my life into and seek to help grow as a disciple in their journey. In Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6, this is my last scripture for today. Paul says this, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. See, we reach a point where deepening in our understanding doesn't depend on receiving more. It actually depends on stepping into partnership in the gospel, which is about seeking to pour out into other people. That can be a scary thing. You could be there, sitting there today thinking, I'm willing, but I just don't even know how to do that. How do I start? I don't feel like I know enough to mentor someone or disciple someone. So how could that be possible? Well, good news, mentoring and discipling others doesn't require knowing everything. <laughs> it's good news for all of us because none of us know everything. <laughs> It doesn't require knowing everything because it's not about setting yourself up as the fount of all knowledge. It's just about journeying with people, loving people, and seeking to grow together in our faith. I would suggest to you that if you think you're discipling someone, but if the time you spend together involves you doing 90% of the talking, I would question the effectiveness of that. Because effective discipleship is actually about asking good questions more than it is about bombarding someone with all of your spiritual reserves. I remember when I became a Christian, I had a, a young guy, dreadlocks, didn't wear shoes. I thought, this guy, I like him. And uh, he actually approached me and said, hey, Phil, you've just given your life to Jesus. Would you like to just meet up once a fortnight? I'd like to see if I can help you grow. I was like, dude, I'll take all the help I can get. I know nothing. This is all brand new to me. And this guy, Rich, he took me to see, uh, no, what was it called? I can't remember the name. Java Cafe on High Street in town. It was a pre-earthquake hangout place. They had great hot chocolates and jars. It was real edgy. We would meet there every second week, and he didn't just talk at me or, or download everything that he knew. He just said, hey, let's turn to a story in the Gospels about Jesus, and let's read it together, and let me ask you some questions about it. And I remember some of the questions he asked me. He asked me, Phil, what stands out to you about Jesus in this story? We, we talked about that. He asked me, what questions does this story raise for you about faith and about life? Let's talk about questions. It's okay to have questions. He asked me, how might you put this story and the truth of it into practice in your life? I was like, oh, that's a challenging question. I'm not sure. But we talked about it and began to make that connection between the theory of God's word and the practicalities of our lives. And lastly, he asked me, what do you feel like God might be speaking to you about through this story? And that was an eye-opener. Oh, God would want to speak to me through a story in the Bible? Like, really? And those questions have stuck with me as reference points and ones that I often pull out when I'm meeting with anyone just to help them on their spiritual journey. I remind myself I don't need to know everything. Asking questions of others can be a key way of helping someone else grow. So for some of you here today, it's time to turn the focus outwards and go, hey, I'm willing, Jesus. Would you connect me with someone who I can pour my life into? You might think, well, who? Who do I do that with? Who? Pray. Ask God to connect you with someone. He's really good at that. He's really, really good at that. 
And then you can just, if you have someone on your heart, you can just approach them and say, hey, mate, I've just been thinking about you. You've been on my heart. And I, look, I don't know everything, but I just want to help you grow. So would you be keen to catch up with me maybe once a fortnight? And as much as I'm able, I want to help you grow. If they say, no, not interested, it's okay. You haven't done anything wrong. We trust God with that. Move on. But taking that step of being willing to initiate something, I trust in the Holy Spirit and his ability to connect us together as the body in ways that are mutually beneficial. Why don't you stand with me, church? Let's wrap this up this morning. I'm going to hand back to Ham and the team. We're going to sing a final song. But let's just pray together before we do that. Heavenly Father, we, just, we thank you that you have begun a good work in each one of our lives and your word declares that you're faithful to bring it to completion. So we trust in you as much as we desire to grow in you and be equipped. We put our trust in you. That you would help us to be a people who continue to grow through the stages of spiritual infancy and adolescence. And we would know what it is to pour our lives into others and know the joy of seeing them go on to share the life of Jesus with others who would go on to share the life of Jesus with others. May that work of multiplication ramp up amongst us as your people in these days, Lord. We don't know it all. We don't have all the answers, but our hearts are willing to be used by you to be a blessing. So I pray that you'd connect people within this church family, one with another, strategically for your blessing and for your glory to flow. And Lord, our prayer is that together we would be more effective for you in these days to come than we have ever experienced before. We thank you for what has been in the past and we thank you in advance for what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.